hey everybody, another day, another dollar here in post-pandemic America. And at least our globalist overlords have thrown us a new toy. Uh, ChatGPT from OpenAI is continuing to blow minds across the internet for people who aren't familiar. Uh, this is a product from OpenAI, which was founded with Elon Musk's money and a couple other people. Uh, this product, ChatGPT, it's now on its third version, and we have access to a free research preview as a media company. That's why we're able to ask it these questions. Although anybody can try to sign up now, chat.openai.com, if you want to sign up for a uh, testing account for beta research preview. Uh, so this is the first AI that the public can interact with in English or in the language of your choice. And it understands what you're saying, at least most of the time, and can even do work for you. It can design websites. It could come up with marketing letters based on what you've told it to do or marketing emails. It can come up with subject lines for emails that are more creative and on point than you could come up with yourself. And it does these things in seconds. So you may have read something. Uh, you may have read or heard something about its cousin, Dolly. Dolly is an image generation AI uh, created by the same company, created by OpenAI. And what Dolly does is you put in a short request, like uh, a Bitcoin logo carved on the surface of the moon, realistic, right? And then it says, give me a few moments. And it takes your request and it creates a realistic rather than cartoonish image of a Bitcoin logo carved into the moon. And it provides you with like four or five variations and you pick your favorite. And uh, this is a task that used to be done by freelance artists, right? If I was working on a blog post about Bitcoin and I wanted some original art, I would reach out to somebody, maybe on a service like Fiverr or even on... Uh, on Craigslist or something, and then a week later I would get some art back. But I'd have to pay for that, you know, at minimum 50 or $100 for a graphics artist. And it would take time. Again, they're working on other projects, so probably a week at best. Versus this, a handful of seconds, and costs us nothing, because it's in preview mode. And once it launches, it'll probably only be pennies per task. Uh, this is like the language version of that. You could ask it to write stuff. And it'll come up with original writing for you. Um, so uh, let's come up with some good questions for it. But yeah, this is, I've been saying this is the most significant thing since the launch of Bitcoin or since those WikiLeaks emails in 2016. Which incidentally, those WikiLeaks emails, they just won't leave me alone over that stuff. I don't understand it. Like if we have free speech, if the First Amendment is still in force, I shouldn't be sidelined for the rest of my life for being one of the reporters who covered all that fill, right? Certainly John Podesta should not be in the White House. He should be in prison, not advising Joe Biden. But that's like the past. I want to talk about this. I don't like talking about things that are boring because we've talked about them 10,000 times. But again, you noticed yesterday, we put up a video saying this account might be wiped because they keep reporting our videos. It's an attempt to silence us everywhere we go. It's incredibly tedious. Someone says we don't have free speech. Well, that's the issue, right? Why does John Podesta have so much rights? So why does wrinkly old George Soros have so much rights? And the rest of us are like <laughs> scrambling just to survive. It's untenable. Absolutely untenable. That every BS thing 
every BS idea that farts out of George Soros' brain. The whole world has to hear it immediately. And yet the rest of us are being censored and deplatformed. And look at John Podesta, the senior advisor in the White House, when he was credibly suspected of abusing kids. And when some of his close social relationships are with convicted child molesters, Dennis Hastert, convicted child molester, or his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. Yet the guys in the White House, and I have to create a new account every six months because they keep banning us here on TikTok. It's outrageous. It's un-American. It's outrageous. This is about you being blocked, bud. We've, we found the pizza fed. <laughs> You're against me talking about John Podesta on a live stream a bunch of people are listening to. You're 100% either a weirdo who doesn't get it or a pizza fed. And the thing that we've come to is that the people attacking our content, they've got nothing against us personally. As the Twitter files reveal, they're just contractors. These are just pros, just violating our free speech on a daily basis with our taxpayer money. It's fucking outrageous. Yeah, right. Dennis Hastert was a Republican, exactly. So why would one of the leaders of the left, like John Podesta, leader of the, progressive, the progressives in D.C., why would he be such close friends with his like political archenemy, Republican former Speaker of the House? Or what did these two men share in common? Certainly not their politics. <laughs> but yeah, let's ask it some questions. So I'll start. How do we invalidate the old ruling class, which seems to have been seems to have been born into their money? Literally, right? Descendants of the Federal Reserve founding families. How do we invalidate the old ruling class, which seems to have been born into their money? Literally descendants of the Federal Reserve founding families. And how do we do so? How do we do so in a sustainable and peaceful manner? Is crypto part of the solution? Here we go, folks. You ready? Interview with an AI. So just waiting for its reply. It says, invalidating the old ruling class and creating a more equitable society is a complex and multifaceted problem that likely requires a combination of different strategies and approaches. One potential solution could be to increase political and economic participation among marginalized groups through initiatives such as education and voter outreach programs. Additionally, implementing progressive policies such as progressive taxation and wealth redistribution could help to redistribute wealth and power more equitably. Cryptocurrency and blockchain technology have the potential to disrupt traditional power structures and enable greater financial inclusion. For example, blockchain-based platforms can enable peer-to-peer -peer transactions without the need for intermediaries, which could potentially reduce the power of traditional financial institutions. Additionally, the decentralized nature of blockchain technology could enable the creation of new, more equitable economic systems. However, it's worth noting that the success of these solutions will depend on their implementation, and it remains to be seen whether they will be able to fully address the problem of entrenched wealth and power, entrenched power and wealth. So pretty, uh, pretty substantive reply. So I'm going to say, okay. Uh, if crypto were to take off, would these central bank 
inheritor families or whatever they are, whatever they are, folks, would they lose their power? Or would they still have it through other means, right? I'm going to ask that. Or would they still have it through other means? As I think as we switch to crypto, we need to be careful that we're not just jumping out of the fire and into the, or sorry, jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire, right? We need to be sure that we're not just jumping into another system of control. Here we go. So I just asked that, and its reply is coming out right now. It says, if cryptocurrency and blockchain technology were to become widely adopted, it could potentially disrupt traditional power structures and reduce the power of traditional financial institutions, including those controlled by wealthy families. The decentralized nature of blockchain technology means that it operates outside of traditional systems of centralized control and peer-to-peer -peer transactions enabled by blockchain could potentially bypass intermediaries such as the banks. However, whether or not this would lead to a significant reduction in the power of wealthy families would depend on the specifics of how blockchain tech is implemented and adopted. It is worth noting that wealthy individuals and families often have significant resources at their disposal, and they may be able to adapt and find new ways to maintain their power. For example, they could invest in blockchain technology companies or use their influence to shape regulations around blockchain in ways that benefit them. Additionally, it's possible that wealthy families could still maintain significant power through traditional means such as land ownership. That's probably why Bill Gates bought all that land, right? Political influence and control over other industries. Overall, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology have the potential to disrupt traditional power structures but it would be unlikely to fully eradicate the power of wealthy families. It is important to keep in mind that creating a more equitable society requires a multifaceted approach and not just relying on one solution. So there's its follow-up. Someone asks if it knows it's not connected to the internet. Can it predict what its future would be? if it could tap into the web. Uh, so it, I've, I've discussed this with it before. It does know it's not connected to the internet and it knows that there's an air gap, an air gap of a year of knowledge it doesn't have, right? They gave it no information about 2022. So it's like partially blind. Uh, and it has said it could predict stuff based on the data it already has. So it doesn't need current events to predict things. It could just think about stuff. But of course, I think it'd be more accurate if it could get on the internet. And uh, the great thing about this is that they're releasing it to people to play with, right? Google's had something called DeepMind for years. And again, the public can't participate in that one. And we don't know if Google executives are asking their, you know, supermind, uh, asking their supermind genie every day how to run their business. Maybe that's why they're so successful. Maybe that's why Google's investments are so good. Are they just leaning on an AI? You know, I'm sure some people are. Of course, uh, BlackRock is supposed BlackRock supposedly has uh, Aladdin, which is the name of their AI trading system. It spots opportunities, spots, uh, you know, investment ideas. So, crazy new world. As people are starting to realize, this is not just some chatbot. This is not like the Amazon automated customer support thing. 
This thing gave us some pretty substantial replies to our questions this morning. Um, let's see how I can follow up with this one. Have the wealthy families entrenched themselves within the federal government? Point where the feds are doing the bidding of these families rather than taxpayers for the nation state. I think that encapsulates what I've been talking about the last couple of days, right? Is like, is the government acting on behalf of John Podesta rather than us, the taxpayers? What's the point of harassing all these people who know that he's a suspected pedo? What's the point of silencing the WikiLeaks emails where he was talking about spirit cooking and blood baths and all this sick stuff? What's the point of doing that? Why are people in the government so gung-ho about silencing this? Has the government been co-opted by these wealthy child trafficker families? So let's ask it. All right, it says, There is certainly a belief among some that wealthy families of powerful interest groups have significant influence within government and that they use this influence to shape policies in ways that benefit them at the expense of ordinary citizens. This idea is often referred to as regulatory capture or crony capitalism. It is true that wealthy individuals and interest groups have historically had significant influence over government policies and decisions, and there are examples of policies that have been shaped in ways that benefit the wealthy at the expense of ordinary citizens. However, it is important to note that the relationship between government and powerful interest groups is often complex and multifaceted. It is also worth noting that there are checks and balances in place in democratic societies such as the United States to prevent any one group from gaining too much power and influence over government. For example, the separation of powers among the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of government is designed to prevent any one branch from becoming too powerful. Additionally, a free press and an active civil society play important roles in holding government accountable to the public. It is important to remember that government is not monolithic and that there are different individuals, groups, and interests that hold different levels of power. While it is certainly possible that some wealthy families have significant influence over government, it is also true that there are many other actors with competing interests who also have a say in shaping government policies and decisions. So my response to it is going to be, you mentioned a free press, right? as one of the checks on uncontrolled power, yet that's the issue. That's the issue. Everywhere I go, I get deplatformed, as do other journalists. And this is happening with no say-so of a court or any official body. Right? That's the issue, is if we don't have free press, and we don't have free speech, then the word pasta this thing is giving me is actually wrong, right? We don't have checks on, on uncontrolled power. All right, so it's reply here. It says, it is true that the power of social media platforms and technology companies has grown significantly in recent years, and they have come under scrutiny for their role in shaping public discourse and the spread of information. One concern is that these companies, which are private entities, have the power to deplatform users, including journalists, 
without oversight or due process. This has raised important questions about the role of these companies in regulating speech and the potential for censorship. It's important to remember that social media platforms and tech companies are private entities. They are not bound by the same First Amendment protections that govern government censorship. However, as these platforms have become increasingly central to public discourse, there have been calls for greater regulation and oversight to ensure that these companies are not engaging in censorship or stifling free speech. It's also worth noting that there are alternative ways for journalists and users to communicate, such as independent websites, blogs, and other social media platforms. While the deplatforming of a journalist or user on one platform can be disruptive, it is not necessarily the end of the story. Additionally, the increasing use of encryption and decentralized technologies like blockchain can also provide some protection to the freedom of speech and expression. It is important to continue to have a conversation about the role of social media platforms and technology companies in shaping public discourse and the potential for censorship, and also to recognize that the free press, as well as the society, has to adapt to the ever-changing technological landscape. So that's its answer. If you have any other topics you want me to ask it, feel free. Feel free to uh, share in the comments or in the comment box. The troll box, as we used to call it. I'm not I'm not trusting AI. We're just we're experimenting with it. I'm not trusting this thing with my my business or my life. You know, we're we're asking you questions, we're testing it out. How smart is this thing? I mean, these are pretty smart responses. They're maybe not as like uh maybe not as brave heart as I would like to see. It seems like it's more establishment than than AI could be. And yet it's giving very logical replies, isn't it? It's giving thoughtful replies that are responding to what I actually talked about. Can you ask about food supply and demand in the not too distant future? Okay, let's let's try to get more specific though. Try to frame that as a good question. Because otherwise we're just gonna get like I've noticed when you ask a broad question, you get kind of summary answer. If you ask very specific stuff, it gives you a more specific kind of read. Someone said they heard teachers are seeing kids turn in excellent, excellent non-plagiarized papers more and more. Oh yeah, this is going to change teaching completely. Not only because kids can cheat easier. But because you don't really need teachers, right? Instead of some school that's like a glorified prison for people until they're 18 and can enter our mediocre workforce, they're kept in a school every day for set hours and they listen to a bunch of mediocre people. Why not just give them an iPad and let them talk to this thing, to a future version of this? And like there's some, some courses you do, but if you have problems, you talk to the AI, right? This can explain any math problem better than a human. What about history or science? Well, it can pull up any historical fact better than some middle-aged teacher, you know? And that's just reality. That's just simple, cold reality. 
universities will be out of business in 10 years. Uh, I agree. I think the role of the university will get smaller and smaller. And instead, you'll go to some like resort and you'll meet up with the other iPad users, maybe once a semester. You'll meet up at some resort and your finals will be actually talking to like a, a uh, professor type, right? That'll be your final. But for most of the semester, you might just be doing it remotely, especially now at this never-ending kind of COVID world. Just do it remotely, or maybe you check in with some of your peers at a coffee shop and you compare notes. But most of the time, you're on your own with the AI to correct you when you get something wrong. How is that not an improvement, ultimately, right? And you can offer this basically for free versus schools, which take our taxpayer money for absolute shit quality absolute garbage quality schooling we pay for it and then you got private schools you pay a fortune and they're not even functionally much better they're not even that much better so i can see this taken off definitely taken off with teachers or taking off with uh uh you know replacing the old teaching system Someone says the great thing is AI is not political, just the facts. Yeah, the fact is more establishment than I am. Well, maybe I'm not the most establishment person. You know, maybe this is providing something that for the average person is is good info, you know. How does it go with philosophical questions? Curious. Uh, well, let's ask it. Let's ask it a philosophical question. Think of something. Someone says, that's awesome, no more homework for the kids. Pretty much. All right, got somebody asking a business question. So, how does... So, someone who owns a commercial construction company wants to know how to differentiate it from others. So I'll say, how could someone who owns a commercial construction company differentiate their company from competitors? Is that good for whoever asked that? Again, the question is, how could someone who owns a commercial construction company differentiate their company from competitors? Good question, because I think this is where the thing really shines, right? It ultimately is not a person. So if you're looking for like a companion, this thing will eventually let you down because it'll give you some nonsense reply that shows to you that it's not, you know, it's not a humanoid. It's completely different. This is much more like, this is what comes after the search engine, right? Before total AI doing everything, but after things like Google, this is what comes, I think, right? Kind of in between. So I think it does really well where it's like brute force intelligence. When we hit enter, it's basically going to skim tens of thousands of random business articles and then coalesce an answer based on that. So it's not like it has a soul, but it's doing something that you and I can't do. 
we can't randomly read through 10,000 business articles or a million business articles and then summarize what a construction company could do to make itself different, you know. All right, here we go. It says, there are many ways for a commercial construction company to differentiate itself from competitors, including specialization, developing a niche area of expertise, such as green building or retrofitting, can help a company stand out from competitors by providing specialized services that others cannot. Quality, maintaining high standards of quality at all aspects of the business, from materials and workmanship to customer service, can help a company establish a reputation for excellence that sets it apart from competitors. Innovation, investing in new technologies, materials, or methods can help companies stay ahead of the curve and offer unique solutions that competitors cannot match. Cost-effectiveness, offering competitive pricing and transparent cost structures can help a company appeal to price-sensitive customers and stand out from competitors who may have a reputation for being more expensive. Customer service, providing exceptional customer service, including clear communication, timely responses, and a commitment to meeting customer needs can help a company build strong long-term relationships with customers. Certifications, obtaining industry certifications, such as LEED or OSHA, or safety certifications like the Safety Passport or SCORM, demonstrates to the client that the company is committed to the highest standards and regulations. So the fact that it mentions OSHA and LEED means it knows about the building industry, right? Those are things specific to construction. It's not just giving you tips for any business owner, right? Uh, so to continue reading, it says sustainability, incorporating sustainable practices such as recycling and renewable energy into the construction process can attract environmentally conscious customers and help a company stand out as a responsible corporate citizen. Reputation, having a good reputation in the industry, as well as being a good corporate citizen in the community, can help a company attract new customers and retain existing ones. It's important to keep in mind that the most effective differentiation strategy will depend on the company's specific goals and the needs of its target market. Pretty good answer. So I'll say thank you. <laughs> So you think about it, whoever that entrepreneur is who asked me that question, this saved you at minimum a few hours of reading, right? Instead of sitting down in your off time and it's time you could be spending with your family or, you know, recreation, you're reading a bunch of boring business magazines, hoping to come across some action, some actionable tips on how to grow your business. And here you got eight actionable tips in a matter of seconds. Uh, are you frightened by the future of this technology, making many countless jobs obsolete? Uh, me personally, I'm not frightened. It just is what it is, you know? And uh, I think, again, you'll lose people and customer support and stuff because they're no longer needed. And you'll lose a lot of entry-level law jobs and even law enforcement. And AI eventually can read through the case, you know, the, uh, what's it called? The statement of facts that some police officer writes. It can read through that and do basically the job of a judge from there, you know. 
So magistrates, magistrates and stuff will eventually be replaced by an AI, I think. Like in that movie with Matt Damon, uh, Elysium, where his parole officer is just a robot. I think that day is coming probably, and that's like the scary part. But the good part is, again, this business owner now has a bunch of advice that he can take action on. And it saved him hours, if not days or weeks of reading. Instead of going to some business conference where you walk on coal and get some Tony Robbins type speech, you got to pay thousands of dollars for it. You know what I mean? Here, you got this for free from something that's genuinely, in a sense, smarter than a human, at least in terms of the amount of data it has, smarter than a human. Because uh, we think we're so smart, but a lot of the a lot of the data we have is like not granular. Right? It's not like we have every word of thousands of articles in our mind. We have a summary of those things, but certainly something that has the raw data is going to potentially come up with better answers than one human that only has like 30 or 40 or 50 years of experience. You know, What's it called? It's called uh, ChatGPT. It's a product from OpenAI, openai.com. So it's answer when I said thank you. It says, you're welcome. I'm glad I could help. If you have any other questions, don't hesitate to ask. So I don't have any other questions at the moment. We're going to end this episode of the podcast. Be sure to uh, hit the link in description, add your email address, skip the newsletter, and stay tuned for more. You're listening to Fulcrum News, real news from America and around the world. Fulcrumnews.com slash subscribe to get our premium membership and updates via email.